Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part two of my conversation with Barbara Seip, Janine Turner, and Amira Al-Sayed from the Richmond, Virginia-based nonprofit NextUp RVA. Barbara is president and CEO of NextUp, an organization that partners with schools, the district, the city, and the community to connect middle schoolers with quality out-of-school time opportunities across the city of Richmond, as well as provide capacity building and support for providers of expanded learning programs. Janine is Vice President of Strategic Partnerships and Programs for NextUp, and Amir is Senior Manager of Program Services. The level of effort in infrastructure and relationship building required to provide equitable access to quality out-of-school time programs at a large scale is complex and intensive, and also essential to drive learning and development outcomes for young adolescents. We also look across the school system and school outcomes, what effect are out-of-school time programs having on students' learning engagement. And what we've seen now for eight years is that kids who are staying after school are coming to school more often. They're improving their school day attendance. And then we see the similar with school behavior. When kids are feeling better, when they feel more connected and they're showing up, they do better in school. They have more friends. They feel, as Amir talked about, safer. And that leads to better behavior as well. And then ultimately, we're looking at high school graduation. We've had two graduating cohorts now, and both cohorts have been 92% on-time graduation rate. Here in part two of our conversation, Barbara, Janine, Amir, and I talk about how NextUp tracks data to ensure quality of programming at scale, the impact that the organization is seeing among the students it serves, including early cohorts that are now graduating from high school, how NextUp and its partners have worked to be responsive to student needs in this moment in time, and what the organization is planning next to expand its value to the young people and families of the city of Richmond. Previously in part one of our conversation, we talked about the origins and evolution of NextUp RVA and why middle school has been their focus from the very start. The array of partners the organization organizes and coordinates to make out-of-school opportunities available to students. The mechanisms to help young people make good choices in engaging in programs that are a good fit for their interests and needs and the support NextUp offers to program providers to boost their capacity to serve young people. Part one is now available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here is part two of my conversation with Barbara Seip, Janine Turner, and Amir El-Sayed. And let's talk about the, the net result of all this. Amir, maybe you can start. What are your data showing on things like student engagement or, as Janine mentioned, social-emotional development or, or other meaningful and developmentally appropriate indicators? So we, we collect data um, in several areas regarding student outcomes, and those include um, behavior, course performance, and attendance. Uh, we've been able to serve um, over 600 students this year just in regards to across those six schools and through our programs. But we collect data through surveys to parents, to our providers, 
and also to, from students. So we collect surveys from all of those key stakeholders. But from parents, 93% um, have said that Next Step provides high quality programs. And more importantly, 96% of parents said that it keeps their children safe. So um, when looking at just some of the, the data that's out there when, in regards to Generation Z, um, like some of the things that are big issues uh, for this generation is gun control, mental health. So really that 96% of a safe space, um, which is kind of the foundation of what we're trying to build through our programs is very important. And for parents to be the ones to say, hey, that's that's kind of what where our highest mark was, is, is truly important, especially past that pandemic period. Additionally, from students, um, and we've surveyed um, students as well, 99% of students feel like attending program is an enjoyable experience. But also 98% of youth uh, felt safe participating in programs sponsored by Next Step RVA. Um, and then additionally, 91% feel like they've learned a new skill. So skill building is a big part of it. Uh, the foundation is that safe space, but through the safe space, they feel that they're able to build a new skill through, through our programs and what they offer. But in addition to that, we also gather data from what is it that they want to do? Um, and this kind of dictates how are we picking our providers for, during those RFB um, times? So we get that data from our students directly as to what kind of programs they want. Um, which helps us drive our decision-making. We also look across the school system and school outcomes. What effect are out-of-school time programs having on students' learning engagement? And what we've seen now for eight years is that kids who are staying after school are coming to school more often. They're improving their school day attendance. And then we see the similar with school behavior. When kids are feeling better, when they feel more connected and they're showing up, they do better in school. They have more friends. They feel, as Amir talked about, safer. And that leads to better behavior as well. And then ultimately, we're looking at high school graduation. We've had two graduating cohorts now, and both cohorts have been 92% on-time graduation rate. And how are you capturing it? Do you have some sort of uh, data system or data management system? You're, it seems like you're collecting data from multiple sources, maybe some that you collect yourself, some that you're gathering from other, other places. Is there some like centralized repository that sort of manages that data and then can help you report out on it? We do have a data management system. Um, we work with CitySpan, which is a, a national technology firm and works with a lot of out-of-school time systems and youth organizations. And um, within that data management system, we're able to make it available to our providers so that they can use it to track attendance. We've been able to create an online registration process through this system. So parents and kids can sign up for the classes they want. And then that is also where we're able to connect with our school system to be able to collect the data on students' school outcomes, their report card information, SOL scores, all of that information we're able to collect now and bring it together into the shared management system. But now what we're looking at is how do we make that data management system more accessible to more providers who may not have that technology capacity in their budgets or in their staffing. And so Working with CitySpan, we've created the Next Step Expanded Learning Information System, which allows other providers in our network to use that data management system for themselves as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by these by these 
infrastructure components because you know oftentimes in our field we gravitate towards talking about programming or the youth development factors and we all are kind of bought into that and the importance of those things but how you do it and how you operationalize it particularly at the scale that you're operating in it takes the data systems it takes the capacity building it takes the relationship building so all those components that you do i think it's just a great uh, showcase for what the level of effort is to make those all the things that we know matter for kids requires a really a, a wide array of of, of effort and an activity. Uh, so I appreciate you showcasing all, all those all those elements. Can we talk a little bit more about Gen Z? What's important and needed, not just for youth in general, but also this particular generation. And Amir, you rattled off a, a few of the sort of particular concerns that they're wrestling with and that we're aware of and trying to be responsive to. How have you all worked in your organization just to respond to the current times that impact this particular generation of young people? I think for us, it's making sure that we are not only SEL trained, but also able to get all of our program providers SEL trained. So Janine and myself, a few months back in October, we um, got SEL trained by the Wycart Center, in which we are going to kind of kick off the process, and Janine had mentioned it briefly, where we are not only training our program providers, but also getting them trained to be able to facilitate um, SEL. It's important because not only are our youth going through it, like we're also going through it, so for them to be able to be tapped into their own emotions like checking yourself at the door like where am i before i deal with our youth is extremely important because we're not able to deal with all of these issues that our gen z is going through unless we first are kind of aware are self-aware and social emotionally uh, cognizant of ourselves so just being able to build expertise within our own network is going to be extremely important um and sel expertise but just also making sure that uh, we get the right folks on board through our program providers. A lot of the SEL work is, and a lot of time our program providers do not realize it, but they're doing it anyways. It's just kind of, it's just kind of like identifying it, uh, honing in on it. But our programs, um, some of them are more SEL focused in, in in the content that they offered. So. We try to have at least one or two, if not three of those at each of the schools where if students want an all girls group, an all boys group, uh, where they're able to kind of share like, hey, how was my day? What's what's going on? What are we doing about it? So it's not only uh, getting our people trained, but also making sure that the content of SEL is prevalent within our sites and through our organizations. Yeah, I was wondering that with the providers, Janine, whether you whether you kind of incorporate some of these evolving needs into your RFP process and the things that you're looking for. You know, I imagine on a yearly basis that you're trying, you're all constantly sort of doing tweaks to to sort of be responsive to the times. Really, it's being responsive, right? So um, we are always, and we're we're not above when we put out these applications every year. Um, sometimes we'll do special callouts for uh, programming needs, but. Again, we're always looking to make sure that we have a complement of programs that are culturally responsive and also responsive to the things that are happening in the community and in our kids' lives. We're really big on relationships for kids and, and wanting adults to understand that sometimes it's just listening, listening to what the kids are saying, listening to the feedback 
that we get from providers. So that means that, you know, a lot to us too. And in our surveys that we do with providers and we're always asking them, what can we do better? What's missing? What do we need to add? What do we need more of? And, and just tracking that data, you know, um, when we see that there are programs that are really popular, really like when Amir brought up the girls program, you know, we knew that we had to have this as a staple, like for our girls to be able to have those spaces to be able to share uh, amongst their peers in a safe space and, and for our young males as, as well. So um, I think it's just like I said, you know, like what you said, being responsive and again, just listening and allowing those things to come to us and where needed go out and solicit when we, when we determine that there are needs. I'm curious, what's next for, for Next Up? Where do you see the organization going from here? Are there broader needs within the Richmond area? Are there things you're considering wading into that you haven't already? What might the future hold for you all? We just adopted a new strategic plan in the fall, and some of the areas where we're growing, and really it's growing from that core, that middle school model, but looking at community settings, um, knowing that there are so many programs and services out there, but families don't always know where they are and don't know how to access them. And the providers themselves have amazing programs, but may not be full because the you know they can't get to the kids. So some of the work that we're doing now is building out a program locator so that there can be a place where teens and families can find information about programs. And we're doing a lot of research and an inventory to find all the organizations. We know of 70 of them, but there are many more so that we can be that resource hub as well. And then looking at the funding and coordination of programs that are happening in community settings, as I mentioned, in the evenings, on weekends, in the summertime. And that's in partnership with the city of Richmond. They've invested over a million dollars in um, helping to expand access for teens 12 to 19 years old to be able to have more opportunities outside of the home and outside of the classroom for learning and We've been honored to be their partner in that project. And then also looking at more research and public awareness. You know, I think uh, it's really important that as a whole community, we understand the importance of positive youth development and the value that out-of-school time plays. And not only, and very importantly, keeping kids safe, also as an important piece of economic mobility and a thriving community is to ensure that the kids are doing well and thriving and out of school time plays are a really important role in that whole equation. And what I would say is, you know, I hope that others in the region will begin to use our model um, of how we're increasing youth access to high quality uh, programming and, and hopefully we'll be there to support them along with the journey and understanding that, you know, we might be working with rural communities or communities who, who may be more fortunate than ours, but just this model of how we're engaging youth, I think is a good one. It's a great one, actually. And I think others can really learn from it. And I hope that we begin to really get, get the word out there and get folks using it. I also hope that we can deepen the relationship with the school district so we can connect youth uh, that we're serving to high school opportunities and, and thinking about how they can build upon the talents and the passions that they've built, you know, and established in middle school so that they can one day realize these experiences as careers that really started early for them as a passion and a talent. 
And then finally, I'm also interested in continuing our work on uh, collaborating others just to identify what barriers are out there. And we know that those happen over time, right? Um, and so when you solved one, you feel like another one's popped up. But I think that's just that continued collaboration to work with our, our, our peer organizations to to identify them and then develop solutions so that youth can continue to have access to high quality um, enrichment experiences. Finally, what's one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation? We covered a lot of ground, but based on your work in engaging an entire city of, of middle school age youth in meaningful learning and development opportunities, things you'd like educators both in school and in after school and summer programs to know or be able to do. My biggest thing is if you're, whether it's you're in a leadership role or you're boots on the ground, to be a youth development professional at the end of the day, which means getting the appropriate training, working with our students, especially at a time. Some of the things that we hit on uh, with like Gen Z and some of the things going on in our community, it's so important to be adequately trained and um, a youth development professional. A lot of times when we, we're hiring staff or site coordinators, I'll ask them that question. What does that mean to you? to be a youth development professional. And it's it's really about meeting the students where they are, um, being able to check in with yourself and and just being able to um, serve the students in an adequate way where they're just able to to continue growing and creating that safe space and, and, and building skills. Just continuing to promote out-of-school time and the value of out-of-school time to the student experience, that this is a necessary part of what students are, are doing and learning. The school day, you know, from my own personal experience, is really short. And there's a lot of things that have to be accomplished um, on behalf of teachers and, and the school uh, staff that are there. And so with that limited time, where's the time for kids to be able just to have a good time and be able to learn new skills and be able to, you know, do things that eventually, again, might become careers for them? Because sometimes kids, especially the middle school space, they have a hard time making the connection. Why am I learning about, you know, angles and, and geometric figures now? Like, how does that tie to my career? But when you have them engaged in, like, computer science and coding and creating a, um, their own video game, they're really able to say, listen, oh, I see. This is something I love because I play video games. And guess what? I love to make them and create them one day. So that's what I just want to, I guess, leave the, the listeners with is, you know, really continue to promote out of school time. The more coordinated our efforts, the more collaboration we have, the better we all can serve kids and the more kids can participate in these activities. Well, Barbara, Janine, Amir, it's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thanks for for sharing your work with us and the work of Next Up. And uh, just thanks for all that you're doing for the youth of, of Richmond. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having us, Jason. That was Barbara Sipe, Janine Turner, and Amir Al-Sayed from Next Up RVA. You can learn more about Next Up online at nextuprva.org or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at NextUpRVA. Remember, you can look out for part one of my conversation with Barbara, Janine, and Amir, which is out now on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. 
Recently, I interviewed three professionals from Education Opens Doors, a Dallas-based nonprofit that works with middle schools, providing curriculum, professional learning, and resources to help young adolescents be more informed about opportunities and choices for their future in high school, in college, and in careers. Kristen Pereira is Senior Curriculum Specialist, Kelsey Martin is Manager of Creative Projects, and Nia Cottenham is Implementation Manager. Together, they share with us how early adolescence is an ideal time to help young people explore their interests and learn practical skills and approaches to decision-making for turning those interests into their future learning, livelihood, and life. Not only is the curriculum helping them build understanding to prepare them, but it has them, you know, some students who are quiet maybe more talkative or, you know, because they're able to have a space where they can explore themselves and also notice that there is no right or wrong. This is the choice that I'm trying to create for myself. So there's no heavy pressure on is it right, is it wrong, like you would find in a core content class with the STAR test coming up. And so I've just seen students have really come out of their shell and they're excited, not only just for their future as far as college is concerned, but even like now I know a little bit about why I'm gonna go to the high school I wanna go to. You know, now I kind of know what what um, extracurricular activities I want to be involved in because I've really found out what I truly like. <laughs> it's not just what, you know, my mom was telling me, but I've really been able to tap in to myself and be more aware of myself and make decisions or even advocate for myself moving forward. You can listen to both parts of my conversation with Kristen, Kelsey, and Nia wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.